0: Well, I hope you're continuing to pray about how the Lord would lead you in giving to our uh, missions offering this Easter season. Uh, as we specifically give uh, to, uh, towards uh, North American missions through the North American Mission Board, uh, it is a great opportunity for you to invest. 100% of these funds go directly to support the church planters and missionaries serving all throughout the United States and Canada. Uh, Montreal, for example, is one of the darkest cities on the planet. I mean, think about that being in the West, but it, it is true. And so just to see how God is at work in these cities, and uh, it's so encouraging to see. So uh, this is a worthy investment for the sake of the gospel um, among peoples all across our nation who need uh, to hear the gospel and to be saved, to be discipled, and to be uh, growing and thriving in healthy congregations. And so let's be faithful in giving to that, uh, for that purpose, for the glory of God. All right, we are going to be Back in the Old Testament, again today, Judges chapter nine. Judges chapter nine. We were going to go chapter nine to chapter 12, but this is just too heavy uh, to endure that many chapters of judgment. Um, So we're just going to stick with chapter nine and a little bit into chapter 10 today. Um, Judges chapter nine. I want to read just to verse 24. We're gonna look at the rest of the chapter together, so I'll be making comment through the rest of the chapter, Uh, so uh, don't check out on the rest of the chapter, all right? We're gonna be looking at the whole thing together. And by the way, uh, this is just random, spur of the moment. Um, uh, Those of you who were voted in last members meeting uh, as new members, we're gonna have you come forward so people can see you this morning, so I'll give you 30, 45 minutes to panic, since we didn't warn you before now. And then at the end, we'll have you, have you come forward. think there are nine of you. If you're here today, obviously you wouldn't be hearing me if you weren't here. Uh, but new members will recognize you at the end. Uh, we'll call you forward uh, when that time comes. And so, um, let the panic begin. Uh, Judges, chapter nine. I wanna read beginning in verse one. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerobal, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them, and the whole clan of his mother's family, Say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jeroboam rule over you, or that one rule over you. Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal-berith, which, Uh, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, seventy men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem." When it was told to Jotham, he went out and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may, that, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them and they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go hold sway over the trees?' And the trees said to the fig tree, you come reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, you come reign over us. But the vine said to them, shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, you come reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you were anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out from the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity, which uh, when you made uh, Abimelech king and you have dealt well with Jeroboam and his house and have done to him all his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian." And you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his sons 70 men on one stone and have made Abimelech the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem because he is your relative. If you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jeroboam and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Melo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem, and the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the violence done to the seventy sons of Jeroboam might come, and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother who killed them, on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by them along the way. And it was told to Abimelech. we consider all that's going on in this passage, let's certainly pray for God to give us wisdom and clarity. But let's remember that this is indeed the word of God and there is something to be held here and understand. So let's pray together. Father, would you certainly give us clarity and understanding of your truth today, that it may change us, convict us, transform us, that we might be more like Christ. This is what we pray in his name, amen. December 7th, 1941. November 22nd, 1963. September 11th, 2001. These are three dates that I would imagine most people know, or at least two out of the three. December 7th, 1941, the bombing of Pearl Harbor. November 22nd, 1963 the assassination of John F. Kennedy, and certainly September 11th, 2001, when uh, terrorists attacked our nation, killing thousands. One of the things that these events in our own nation's history have in common is that they are all marked by evil, all of them. And certainly the most recent, September 11th, we, we know that That even most people in our country understood that's exactly what was taking place. In fact, David Wells in one of his books called Above All Earthly Powers said that this. He said, quote, the unusual thing that seemed to happen overnight after 9-11 is that the word evil returned to people's vocabulary. Now, later on, I would add that that was probably a brief return, but it did return. And these are just a few examples of countless examples that we could give as we consider world history in general. Uh, All of these things having in common the presence and activity of evil. There have been innumerable occasions throughout world history, national tragedy, war, oppression, all of these things that, that unveil evil in these Um, bursts of evil through these particular events and it's one of the ways I I think about the the presence and reality of evil in our world it's always present because of the fall go back to Genesis and this is why why we have it in our world the rebellion against God and so there's evil in our world and it's almost as if evil permeates all of society and it's it's kind of like just always there and then then you have these events like these where like kind of a geyser, it just kind of bursts forth and you see it on full display in in an amazing and intensified way, but it's always there. Well, for Israel, Abimelech is one of those geyser moments when the evil that has always been around kind of bursts forth in in this full-blown version in this one man. Just to kind of give you a quick recap, we're gonna do this a little different day. We're gonna kind of recap the story and then we're gonna draw three three observations and points from it. We remember as we've been making our way through Judges that that Gideon was the previous judge and his beginning was much better than his ending. In fact, we know that while he verbally rejected the call to be king, he sought to live a lifestyle like a king. He had 70, 70 wives and a concubine. And because of that, he had, what we're told here in the text, 70 sons. And also, he had a son with his concubine, and that was Abimelech. After Gideon dies, here in chapter 9, Gideon dies in chapter 8, there at the end, and now in chapter 9, Abimelech emerges onto the scene and aggressively seeks to become king and ruler. And so he does what any good politician would do. He goes back to his hometown. He stirs up the family and stirs up the leaders in his hometown, and he launches his campaign. Maybe his title for the campaign was Make Israel Great Again. I don't know. Maybe something like that. But Shechem, Shechem is is the town he goes to and that certainly served an important role historically in Israel. Abram, back in Genesis 12, built an altar there. Jacob also built an altar there and led Israel to renew its covenant with God. Many things throughout the Old Testament happened here at Shechem. Later on in the New Testament, it's where Jesus meets the woman at the well, right here at Shechem. And so this was a historically strategic and important town in the life and history of Israel. So this is where Abimelech was from and this is where he goes to garner that support from his family and from the leaders of Shechem. But but what he does next just demonstrates how bad of a guy he really is. He makes a deal with one of the local houses of Baal. False God, house of Baal, he goes and makes a deal and he hires some campaign assistants Notice how they're described, some worthless and reckless fellows. This sounds like 2016, doesn't it? This is what happens. He, and he hires these men from uh, out of idolatry, and then he does the unthinkable. To make sure his brothers serve no threat to him, and to maintain his desire for power, he kills them, his brothers, his half-brothers, kills them. All of them but one, Jotham, he escapes. Jotham escapes, but he soon returns as we read there. He soon returns as the leaders of Shechem are gathered, and he goes to Mount Gerizim, which kind of overlooks Shechem, and he could have been heard from being up on high, and he basically tells them a parable. A lot of times we think about parables being only in the New Testament. Right here is an Old Testament parable. He tells them this parable of these trees needing rule and how each of them goes to, uh, uh, the trees go to each of these other trees to rule over us and they all decline except for the bramble. And obviously Jotham is, is equating Abimelech to this worthless bramble tree and he's basically saying, hey, if you've acted in good faith, that's your choice. But then he flees after he warns them and calls Abimelech out through that parable. He flees to another town for his own safety and we don't hear from him again. Don't know what happened to him. Well, soon after his speech, we're told in verse 23 that God sends an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem, these same leaders he's just garnered support from. Now there is a division, a rift between them And if you continue reading, to make a long story short, there is much bloodshed, there is much destruction that takes place between Abimelech's army and the leaders and people of Shechem. Not only does Abimelech kill the leaders of Shechem by burning a tower down that they had sought refuge in, he kills many of the citizens, men, women, and children of Shechem. He's a nice guy, isn't he? just out of spite, and that didn't suffice him, so he moves on, in verse 50 and following, he moves on to another town to, in similar fashion, bring destruction upon it, and so, in a similar way, the leaders and people flee to the tower of that city for their own safety, and Abimelech, having burned down one in a previous city, starts to do the very same thing here, but ah, there's a smart lady in this town. And she strategically places herself in a position where she casts a millstone down and it crushes Abimelech's head. He's laying there on the ground now, about to die, and he doesn't want to go down in a bad way having been killed by the hands of a woman, that's what the text tells us. And so he asks his servant to run him through and to finish him off, and that's exactly what happens. And Abimelech dies. And then we read this in verses 56 and 57 of chapter nine to wrap this story up. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads, and upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboel. This is quite a story. And so you can imagine, as a pastor sitting in your office thinking, how am I going to preach chapter nine today? I asked that question many times over this past week, and certainly there's a lot of things that we should consider in this passage. This was not a good day in Israel. Now remember, this is Israel against Israel. This is not Israel against its oppressors. This is an internal conflict, a civil war of sorts. So it's a dark day in Israel, a bad day in Israel, and and things continue to just spiral out of hand. And so, the question is, what could we possibly take away from such a terrible, dark story during one of Israel's dark lowest moments in its life? What possibly could we see here? Well, we see several important facts about God in this passage. Even though he remains largely silent until you get to verse 23, he's kind of in the background. And even though he's, he's not overtly present there, we know he's present. And there are several important facts and truths that we gain about God from this passage and, and, and things that we need to believe. And so the question is, how can we respond or what should we believe about God in the face of much evil? I don't think that would be relevant today, wouldn't it? In the midst of a chaotic and evil society and and when things seem to be going from bad to worse, what is it that we can believe in? What is it that we can hold to when things just seem to be spiraling out of control even among the people of God? Three truths about God. And so this morning, we're gonna look at those. We're gonna spend most of our time on the first point. So by the time I get to the end of that, don't think, well, Goodness, he's going to spend that much time on the second, third. We're going to go through second, third points a little faster, but most of our time would be spent on the first point, just so you are aware of that as we work through this passage together. So I think there are three, at least three, we could look at more, but at least three things we see about the Lord in chapter 9 and even into chapter 10 a bit that we can take away in the face of such rampant evil. Truth number one God is just concerning sin. Truth number one, God is just concerning sin. The title of our exposition of Judges, we're making our way through this book, is Relentless Grace. The grace of God is on display in Judges, as bad as it is. The point is, is that the people continue to do evil and God continues to pursue his people. That's, why, that's how relentless the grace of God is on display in the book of Judges. And so magnifies the grace of God in so many ways. But chapter 9 is kind of an interlude or kind of a pause on that just to show that in the midst of God's grace, there is his justice concerning sin. Sometimes we hear so much said about the love and the mercy and the grace of God that we sometimes forget or don't even realize that God is just. He is a righteous judge and he will not overlook evil. And one of the things that we also need to realize is that although we do say much about the grace of God, it's in the name of our church, it's certainly something we sing of and celebrate and we must and we should. At the same time, in no way is God obligated to extend his grace. Because he is just, because he is holy, because of his own righteous character, in no way is God obligated to extend grace. That's the very point of grace. It is a free gift given to those who do not deserve it. Now that might sound a bit shocking to you if you've not heard that before, but that's exactly the truth. That's embedded even in the definition of grace. Grace is not something that God must give, but rather it's something he chooses to give for his own glory, for his own purposes. Now certainly, I would even say in light of that, judgment is not God's preferred method, but he's still within his right to extend it whenever he so chooses, Something we need to remember about God's character is that he is perfect in all of his attributes at the same exact time. Sometimes we hear, we read books, we hear other people talk about God in such a way that it seems like he's 99% love and 1% judgment. That's not true. He's 100% grace, he's 100% love, he's 100% righteous, he's 100% just You can't divide him up in ways that seem appropriate and comfortable to you. That is making God in your image, not understanding that he made you in his image. So we have to understand that even when we hear hard passages like this, that God is a God of justice. He will not overlook evil. He will not just simply sweep it under the rug and ignore it. He will deal with it because it is in his character to do so. Now having said that, it. It is certainly true, you read Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11 for example. Ezekiel 33 says that God takes no pleasure even in the death of the wicked. God takes no pleasure in the wicked and their demise, their destruction, their death. And while the Bible also says that he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, it also says that in no means, by no means will he clear the guilty. And so, as we think about that, as we think about God's justice concerning sin, there are, are, are several responses I think that that calls us to and we see kind of implied here in this text. Certainly God's judgment, God's justice is, is, is coming down on Abimelech and the leaders of Shechemir. Three things that we need to heed. Let this teach us, remind us. Number one, it, it means that we need to be warned. If anything that Judges 9 teaches us, it teaches us that it is a dangerous and deadly thing to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Abimelech acts in pure evil, and God acts to bring him to an end. We've seen God's justice we could almost call it immediate justice, even though he did rule for three years. Sort of his quick justice, we've seen that happen before. You just think about Noah in his day. God wiped out pretty much all the planet except Noah and his family. Sodom and Gomorrah, Nadab and Abihu. You think, who is that? Well, go read Leviticus, I think it's Leviticus 10. These guys were priests in the, in the tabernacle and they offered unauthorized fire to the Lord. They, they did something wrong in worship and God killed them. Just like that. Or you can go to look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira just to see how God's justice has been on display in many examples before. And I think one of the reasons that we are given stories like Judges 9 or Nadab and Abihu, or Sodom and Gomorrah, Noah and the flood, one of the many reasons, there are many reasons that God gives them, but one of the many reasons we we find is that it reminds us and it warns us about the terrible reality of sin and the consequences we face concerning it. So friend, let, let this chapter of Judges be a gracious warning to you, a gracious warning that it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God when you are in rebellion against him. Let it be a means of God's grace to you that judgment has not yet fallen upon you to waken you, to call you to account, to, to, to bring you to your senses. Let it encourage you, friends, to run hard and fast away from sin. Brothers and sisters, no matter how old you are or what your experience has been, sin always makes empty promises. It can never keep its promise. And it only leads to ruin. No matter how good it might feel, no matter how normal it might seem, no matter how easy it might be, you need to know that sin never ends well. It never ends well. Sin has lasting consequences not only lasting consequences upon you, lasting consequences upon the community of God's people, and lasting consequences even generationally. I was just reading this morning in my own quiet time, Psalm 78, and so I added that here because it just reminded me of what we're talking about here. Psalm 78 verse five says, he, God, established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to to teach their children that the next generation might know them, and children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that, here's the reason, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. This was the exact problem right here fathers had not been faithful and they had forgotten his commandments and were now just in full-blown rebellion against him. Sin has lasting consequences, friends. Lasting consequences. And while we could develop an entire other sermon on this very topic, the side note, let passages like this be also a reminder and a lesson in how we must use discernment prayerful, God-given discernment in choosing our leaders. Don't be quick to go with those who are popular, and I'm not talking about just church leaders, I'm talking about political leaders. Don't be quick to go with what is hot and popular, but be wise and godly. Use discernment, that's exactly what happened to Israel. They, they went with Abimelech and they reaped the consequences. So be wise, so let this be a warning to us. Let this cause us to pause this morning and check our own hearts and and to examine our own lives no matter who you are today. Two, let's be grateful. Let Judges 9 also be a warning, but let it also lead you to gratitude. You're like, how in the world, where do you find gratefulness here? Listen, when we see the judgment that God gave Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem, we have a sense of satisfaction that justice has been served. I mean, you read verses 56 and 57. I mean, when that lady just flings that millstone down and hits dude in the head, you're like, yes. If you didn't do that, something's wrong with your sense of justice. You're like, yes. And you're like, am I wrong to do that? Should I ask for forgiveness because I just felt justice, satisfaction that, that this evil man met his demise? I and mean, there's that sense of justice has been served. They got what they deserved. My friend, what about you and me? Shouldn't we also get what we deserve? When you think about a holy and righteous God and then you think about yourself, I'm not saying comparing yourself to somebody else where you come out good. I'm saying when you compare yourself to holiness, shouldn't we also get what we deserve? We might not have killed our 70 brothers and slaughtered many innocent people, women and children included, but we have all sinned and rebelled against a holy God. Romans three makes that clear, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the Bible clearly says we are all sinners and we all deserve to receive God's justice. But for those of us in Christ, justice has been satisfied at the cross and not on you. If you are a Christian, then you have not received what you deserved. If you think, if you think for a moment that you deserved eternal life, let's talk for a long time. If you think anyone deserves eternal life, I think we have a misunderstanding of our human nature and our true heart before a holy God. But friend, if you're a Christian, the very fact that you are a Christian means you have not been given what you deserve, you've been given grace. And while God has every right to condemn us, he has chosen to extend mercy to us. And we of all people ought to be the most humbled and most grateful. And as a Christian, our hearts and our mouths should not be filled with grumbling. Our hearts and our mouths should be filled with overwhelming gratitude. Overwhelming gratitude. When you read Judges 9, we should just be thanking God that we are not in Abimelech's sandals. Because every one of us could be. In Christ, God has not counted our sins against us, but he has fully, fully pardoned us forgiving us of all our sins and we didn't deserve an ounce of it. That is a beautiful reality. That is something that ought to overwhelm you and make you so grateful. Friend, if you're here today and you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, we welcome you, we're glad you're here, we hope you keep coming back. We would love to get to know you more, we would love to just share our own stories with you, and if you're here today and you're not a Christian, this is a Good, safe, good place for you. You may still have a lot of questions. You may still have a lot of concerns. You may still have a lot of of skepticism and questions and arguments that you want to kind of bring in. It's okay. We welcome that. We want to get to know you. But listen, the truth is, is that all of us, you and us, will stand before a holy God one day and have to give account. It's just true. God made you. And he's going to hold you accountable because he is a God who is holy and he will not overlook sin. And so that's, that's true. All of us will be judged. Not one of you will find a pass on that day. No exemptions for judgment, none. All of us will stand before God and either you will pay for your sin or now you, in that day you will pay for your sin or now in the present you can trust Christ who has fully paid for sin once and for all. You can look to him, believe in him, trust in him, and be saved and have your sins washed away. If you're not a Christian, I would urge you to do that, friend. Look to Jesus, rest in him, find your hope in him, find your complete forgiveness in him. There's not a sin that he was not willing to forgive. You think, well, I've just had, you don't know my life, pastor, friend, I I don't. But I know people like Paul and David and other people who were adulterers and murderers and all this other stuff in the Bible that God radically transformed by his grace. And he will do that for you. Be thankful. Christians, be thankful that you have received or non-Christian can receive right now as long as you have breath. You can receive Christ, you can receive full pardon. Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Christ, you are condemned. That sounds bad, but it's true. But if you're in Christ, there's none of that full pardon, and we can be grateful. Number three, another response to God's justice is we should be prayerful. We should be prayerful. One thing, again, judges not ought to lead you to do a lot of things except just ask questions about the battle and those things. It should lead you to do self-examination, be warned. It should lead you to be grateful if you're in Christ. Your sins have been washed away and it should lead you to be prayerful. One thing we should do from this passage is pray, especially for those people who we know and we love that continue to defy God. Friends, God's judgments are real. Sometimes they fall in the present like this as a means to discipline and break us, and sometimes, like in the case of Abimelech, his judgments bring us to an end, only to serve as a prelude to what will be an infinitely greater and eternal judgment in the future. God's judgment will come, and we must prayerfully pursue those who continue to run away from God. That means for non-Christians, we need to continue to pursue them in love and grace. Warn them, befriend them, care for them, love them, teach them, show them. You say, well, pastor, they just don't listen. Just pray, pray and pursue, pray and pursue. You don't know when that day, just think about you. Many of you can give the testimony where you were walking in rebellion and sin and and all of a sudden boom the lights went on for you where did that come from it's called the holy spirit You don't know when that moment's going to be for them so just continue to pursue continue to pray Run after those people who are running away from God and warn them, be prayerful. And that even means for Christians who are in some rebellion against God, they claim to know Christ, but they're living in unrepentant sin, which is kind of a a disconnect, by the way. It should put red flags up and warning. But if they claim Christ, we should be pursuing them and calling them to repent. Because God is a God who is just. I just ask you, who is it in your life that needs this kind of prayer? Maybe even as a family today over lunch, discuss who is it that's that in your greater family that, that you need to be praying more diligently for? Maybe you need to be more faithful in pursuing. Maybe it's a coworker that, that's just so difficult. It's one of those people, maybe they're just so difficult but there's, there's always that little bit of interest. They always wanna bring up spiritual conversations just to kind of pick and prod at you, but really they're just interested and curious. Maybe it's that kind of person. Maybe you've given up on somebody. You know, pastor, I've tried for years, and I, I just give up. God's gonna have to do something. He's gonna have to do something anyway. Why give up on them? Don't give up. Continue to pursue, continue to pray. With man, is it, it is impossible. If it was up to you, we all should give up. But the gospel is the power of God unto salvation pray and we pursue because with God all things are possible. If he can raise the dead, he can convert the most obstinate of hearts. Be prayerful. That's point number one. God is just concerning sin. It should lead us to be warned, to be thankful, to be prayerful, point number two. Another truth that we learn from Judges chapter nine is that God is sovereign even over evil. God is sovereign even over evil. In verse 23, we read this. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. Now that might make some of you uneasy if you're honest. What in the world does God have to do with an evil spirit? After all, isn't he holy? Isn't he pure and righteous and good? How can he have anything to do with evil? That's a good question to ask. Many people have asked it throughout the centuries. Might make some of you uneasy. In fact, later on, in fact, we read in, in, if you keep going in verse 56 and 57, we read that there, God returned the evil on Abimelech. Verse 57, God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. In this chapter, what we see is, is evil seems at first glance, to, it seems to be running rampant like a wild animal that's just been let loose out of a cage. It's what Abimelech seems like. Like he's been kind of caged up and all of a sudden, boom, he's, he's out and he is just running rampant. What is going on? And now we, we, we read verse 23 and God Sends an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem to cause them to kind of implode on each other to bring judgment ultimately, we're told. How do we piece this together? This would be a 20-week study in and of itself. Let me just say this. We need to understand that the Bible does make crystal clear that God is not the author of sin and not the author of evil, nor does he do evil. But he does and he can use evil to accomplish his purposes. At the end of the day, I don't know how to make sense of all of that perfectly, but that's what the Bible presents us. He's not the author of sin, he's not the author of evil, he doesn't do it, but he can use what's already there and and what has already happened against him and he can use evil that's even raised up evil and accomplish his purposes. While evil is not something created by God, it is something that can work in complete, it's something that cannot work in complete independence of him. You recall Joseph in Genesis chapter 50, you read, the story of Joseph and his brothers in Genesis 37 to 50. Joseph's brothers sold Joseph into slavery. It was not not a good family day. It's kind of another brother story. Um, Well, God delivers Joseph ultimately and raises him up in Egypt because he was sold into slavery. He goes to Egypt and then is, by God's grace, raised up to become a great leader in Egypt. And later on, his brothers meet him there as he's now a leader in Egypt. And... They have this great reunion and Joseph reveals himself to them and they're worried about what he's going to do to them now because they were bad to him and is that now going to be something he does back to them in revenge, but he doesn't. He's gracious to them and this is what he says in Genesis 50 verse 20. He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Same event, same event, the selling of his, uh, the, 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 the treachery, the, the selling of Joseph into slavery, bad, bad move. That same event that these men did evil, God used for good. Somehow God was sovereignly behind that to bring that to, ba- to bear, and, and we don't understand how all that works. Now, when we think about evil, most of the evil that we see and experience, the pain, the frustration, broken relationships, the violence, and even death, uh, are often results of natural consequences, even consequences of not submitting to God. We, we see that all the time. And you could think the same way. If we didn't have verse 23 there, you could say, well, this is what Abimelech gets. He's just kind of reaping what he sows. And that's true, he is. But God is also said to have been involved here with his judgment. He's sovereign, even over the most commonplace events that we we seem to endure or even consequences that we bring upon ourselves. And Now, don't go away here thinking that you've got the final call on all events in human history. You say, well, that's God's judgment, that's God's judgment, don't do that. That's unwise. Don't think that you have the capability of understanding what is a judgment of God and what isn't, but know that God does bring temporal judgment in the world But one thing we can affirm is that even in the midst of evil happening in today's society, God is still sovereign. Barry Webb put it this way in his commentary. He said, however God is related to evil, he is never tainted by it. He is always sovereign over it and causes it to serve in the end his own just purposes. God is sovereign over evil. Number three, God is faithful to his people. God is faithful to his people. When you get to the end of chapter nine, when you get to the end of chapter nine, you see Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem kind of get what was coming for them. God brings them, God brings justice to them. He brings judgment upon them. Now, by the time you get to the end of chapter nine, some of you may have already been tempted to kind of just, hey, let's hit the reboot button again on Israel. They're, just, they're in a bad place again, and so you know how it is with some of your computers, that, that blue screen comes up, the blue screen of death. Now, if you, don't, if you have a Mac, you don't have this problem, but if some of you have those computers, and you see that blue screen of death, and you just have to, it just locks up, it freezes up, and you just kinda reboot, right? Start it over. Well, that's, that's probably what we wanna feel like concerning Israel, Hill, right? Israel, uh, they're, just, they're just in such a bad spot again. Let's just, uh, Noah two, right? That'd make for a good movie, Noah number two. But the problem is, is God promised not to do that again. Thankfully, God is not like us. He doesn't wipe his people out, but instead he sends them more saviors, more judges. This time in chapter 10, in the person of Tola and Jair. We don't know much about these, these men, we're told that they came to save Israel. Verse one of chapter 10. After Abimelech there arose to save Israel, Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar, and he lived at Shemir in the hill country of Ephraim, and he judged Israel 23 years. Then he died and was buried at Shemir. After him arose Jair, the Gileadite, who judged Israel 22 years. And he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys and they had 30 cities called Havoth Jair, to this day which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Camun. 55 years combined with these two combined of Israel being saved, not from an oppressor this time, but being saved from itself. Think about it. Chapter eight, God's people had abandoned him again, and the Bible says they whored after other gods. They were now in a civil war with thousands dead, and God sends them another deliverer. Friends, that is nothing but sheer grace. That is nothing but, but the grace of God on display They had so abandoned him and so, for so long, run after other gods and other things, making unwise choices about leaders and just falling into idolatry time and time again. And God, yet again, is gracious. Friends, it's just a reminder. It's just a reminder of God's covenant faithfulness. It's a reminder that God is radically and relentlessly committed to his people. That's good news for us. He's committed to us. He's committed to keeping us for himself. We know when we get to the New Testament, the Gentiles are now grafted into that people of God, and as a result, the church now comprised of Jews and Gentiles, the people of God, Christ has signed with his blood a commitment to keep us to the end. It's good news. It was indeed a dark day in Israel but not so dark that we can't see the hand of God at work. He is just, he is sovereign, and he is faithful. And when evil seems to prevail, let your hope be firmly and fully in Christ. temptation will be to grow weary and discouraged and troubled. But friends, remind yourself that God is just concerning sin. So let us repent. And God is sovereign even over evil, so we can trust him. And God is faithful to his people. So let us serve him and worship him. That's what we do. Even when evil seems to win the day, God is just, he is sovereign, and he is faithful. Let us keep that close to our hearts and walk in those truths. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these wonderful reminders of your good grace to us. But Lord, also reminders of how we will be accountable to you we will be accountable, Lord. Father, you know the heart and life of each and every person in this room gathered here today. You know, Lord, where repentance needs to take place. Confession. You know where a, a, a 180 needs to, to turn. You know, Lord, where, where people need to to completely surrender their lives to you. Lord, maybe there are people here today that have never trusted in Christ. They've, they have continue to walk in the ways of this world. They continue to try to trust themselves and they realize today, Lord, that they can't trust themselves. They can't trust the world, but they can trust Christ. But Lord, would you draw their hearts to you? God, would you help them to see Christ as their treasure and hope? Would you lead them to repent and to believe in him? Father, for these saints, these believers that gather here today, Lord, would you remind us, oh God, would you remind us of how grateful we should be that we are a people who will not receive wrath because we have received grace. God, that should overwhelm us. And Lord, would you just encourage us Lord, we live, in, we live in difficult days, but Lord, that's been the case since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. There's coming a day when all will be made new. There's coming a day when Christ will return and gather us to himself, and, and Lord, we will live eternally with you. Lord, help us to live in light of that day, knowing that you, God, who have promised You will be faithful. And Father, you have demonstrated that once and for all by sending your own son into this world to live, to die, to be raised so that we can know you and have hope. God, would you lead us to respond to you in a way that you would call us today? We pray this in Christ's name, amen.